Hi and welcome everyone. My name's uh, Stephen Ridgway and this is uh, Talking VTE number 38 for the 27th of uh, November 2013. We've uh, had a bit of a shaky start but we're uh, back to our familiar uh, Skype territory. So I might um, just introduce everyone and um, start with the face-to-face here with myself, with uh, Robin next to me. Hi everyone. Robin Jay, of course. <laughs> So uh, perhaps we'll go around uh, around the online audience. Alex, you first, perhaps. Oh yes, yep. anti-clockwise. <laughs> um, yes, Alex Hayes here, Sunny Canberra. Anti-clockwise for everyone. One of the Michael. What to do, Michael? One. That's Michael G. Michael. Oh, okay. Well, look, uh, Michael Guava here from Yum Studio, um, Ballarat. One of the rare days in Ballard history where it gets over 30 degrees. Oh, so we're, we're rejoicing here in the sizzling on fireworks. And <laughs> just about to have a goat sacrifice. So, yeah, it's going very well here. <laughs> <laughs> and the other Michael? Uh, I'm in Adelaide. Hi, everybody. It's Michael Coglin here, where it's also been a very hot day and it's still a very warm night. But it's lovely to have summer come. Oh, well, that's good. We're still in the winter here in Sydney. And uh, to you, Melanie. Oh, hi. Uh, Melanie Dorian here in the far north coast of New South Wales. Beautiful sunny weather, cool evenings. Um, apart from the odd thunderstorm, it's been pretty good. It's just good to catch up with everyone again. Indeed. It has been a, a little while between uh, podcasts. And uh, of course, uh, Michael uh, Michael Guava is uh, is, a, is a new addition to uh, to Talking VTU. So very welcome, wa- Michael. a very warm, warm welcome to you. Thank you very much. I don't Thank know, you for the I don't know whether you've uh, been and had a look at the history of uh, Talking VTU, but it actually uh, has been going for quite some time, uh, and. Uh, we regularly get together, well, perhaps not regularly, <laughs> at least four or five times a year and talk about 38 issues. 38 times in all. 38 times in all, since about, 2000, <laughs> since about 2006. So that's... Yeah, I did keep a history going back there. Um, and a uh, marvellous, rich repository of history. Indeed. And rants and ravings. I mean, typically we have a theme... Uh, this time, uh, the theme, well, as I suppose, it's getting to the end of the year, so it's a bit of an, a bit of an open uh, topic tonight. So anything that you want to reflect on or anything that's got, um, got under your skin or just reflecting on uh, e-learning in the VET, uh, vet community, but even wider, uh, the, the, edu, the wider edu community. Uh, but I guess something that, um, you know, a few of us have been to a couple of e-learning conferences uh, just of late, and, we, and of course Alex has been on an overseas sojourn recently, so you feel free to uh, to recap on that, uh, Alex, and your PhD uh, musings. But uh, perhaps um, on the top of the list, on the wiki anyway, we, we had the Converbs 13, which uh, myself, uh, Robin and Michael uh, well, the so attended. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So we, we we could start with that. Um, and for those uh, in the out there listening who don't know what Converge Thirteen is, it's a 
It historically was the Australian Flexible Learning Framework e-learning conference in Victoria. Uh, of course, we now, you know, Australian Flexible Learning Framework has morphed into the national VET e-learning strategy. Uh, and uh, the funding has, um, you know, reduced significantly as that program has uh, wound down. Uh, and I don't, I don't think any other state is running a e-learning conference well, anymore. Brisbane had one called um, I. What was it, Mel? I, I see. Uh, it was ICON, wasn't it? No, ICON. IQ. 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 Well, ICON was last year. Yeah. So you know, I guess that's close. But mm. I, I, yeah, I mean. I guess what's happened now is it's fallen back on state funding and if there's state funding there, something might happen and if there's not, it doesn't. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, they uh, it's run, I guess, out of Victoria now and it's around, eWorks is the, is the, is the sponsoring or the, or the driving force there. Hmm. Uh, and, yeah, the three of us went along. I've never been to Converge. Michael, of course, you're, you're, you're a, a veteran. I think he's been. What did you both say? Both Michaels would be veterans. Well, both Michaels would be veterans. Yeah, yeah I've been to a few of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you were there last year, Mel, weren't you? I was, yeah. Had a different venue this year, which gave it a completely different vibe to what it's had the last couple of years. And um, previously, it had been held at. Um, it's been it was held all over the place mm. the first couple, but the last four prior this year were held at um, Ridges. In Preston, this is for non-vics. is about five, six, seven, eight k's north of the city, and very kind of split up venue, higgledy piggledy all over the place. Marquee for the breakout sort of lunch and whatever. Um, but I think having it at the um, event centre really kind of consolidated it and mm. brought it brought it together as a as a group. Had a bit much more of a kind of a uh, you know plenary kind of feel to it. People hung around more, I think, this year than they did last year. So, it was interesting. What do you guys think of it? You've never been before, um, and obviously old hands at the New South Wales team. What, what was your kind of thoughts about it? Um, well, you know, it, it, I guess I went along with my Envil's hat on for Queensland and to kind of perhaps locate any Queensland people who were there but also get a feel for, you know, where the community is at that is seeking to um, get into e-learning. And in many ways, you know, that that the technology has changed but the... You know, but the conversations and the issues have not really. I, I, I don't, you know, I think a lot of what was being discussed there was the same as Tempe. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome, Rose. Hi. That's all right, I'll do it. So just for the record, uh, Rose, Rose Stanek has joined us, so welcome. Um, I've got to go, Damien, I'll, I'll get back to you. Oh, she's that on the call. Okay, I'll do it tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Sorry about that. The phone rang at exactly the same time as. Can you hear me? <laughs> we yes, can you can. Yeah. Oh my God, you guys are so geeky. Honestly. <laughs> oh, let me count the ways. How many? How many ways have you got of contacting people? You should have seen us earlier, though. It wasn't terribly <clears throat> geeky looking then. No, no, we, we've got a lot of egg on our face tonight. Google Plus completely failed us, but anyway. 
Well, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to hear your voices. I miss you so much. We're just, so talking, about, we're just talking about Converge, mm-hmm. which uh, Michael Gwyther is here, Michael Coughlin's here, Alex is here, Mel's here. Hello, Rose. Hello, everyone. It's so gorgeous to hear you. And I think Alison Miller might be on her way. Excellent. Sorry, Sorry, a few of us have been to uh, Converge down in Melbourne, so we're just kind of reflecting on that a little bit. I was just saying, Rose, that you know a lot of the uh, issues for the e-learning community that took that goes to that kind of conference hasn't changed in ten years. I didn't think (laughs) (laughs) it was. You know, it was the same, and and I guess I, you know, I, I. it was interesting to kind of sit back and, and watch that a little bit. Yeah. Robin, do you think we've been spoiled in previous years by the rapid um, evolution of new technologies and new ways of doing things? And now that there hasn't been that much that's been spectacularly different in the technology, um, it's, it's other things that are happening that we look, need to look for? No, I just think it's a different different group of people. I, I don't think, I think the, there are a lot of new people entering the vet arena and I don't think they're any more uh, skilled or, um, you know, savvy about e-learning stuff than what people were 10 years ago. The, the technology, as I said, has changed. But, mm. you know, the, the, there was somebody who will remain nameless who said about five years ago that if, if you know, we don't we don't need this kind of PD anymore. If people don't get it now, they never will. And uh, I think Converge, and they never did. And Converge proves that wrong because you know people people do need um, opportunities. And Michael Gwyther, I you know I I think I tweeted something in in your uh, ACPET um, showcase session to that effect that you know a lot of the the kind of the nature of those funded projects and the reflections of the people who participated in was so much like Lonescope. Oh, and absolutely. In, in, in that fact, they, you know, they were valuing yeah. the time out, they were valuing time to stop and reflect and play and, you know, connect with other people and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that that was very interesting. Look, I think there's the the um the kind of heart and soul stuff that never gets kind of recorded. It was sort of picked up in in our project because people work together for six months, um, and so they end up, even though they're competitors in many cases, becoming quite good friends. And the minute we have your showcase, which is really old fashioned kind of thing to do, but still, it's still a little bit like a country ball. It's just it's it's something they really look forward to and they get ready for and learn from one another, and they they create great professional sort of, you know, relationships. But just one quick reflection on Victoria, I think, is that we're certainly um, over overpacked with opportunities for professional development. We've got ACPET at it pretty hard. We've got um, uh, the TAFE Development Centre at it pretty hard. Um, so there are really lots of opportunities apart from Converse for people to go to sessions and learn specific, specific skills. So I think it's having a real impact on the types of questions and sessions that sort of people are demanding. But do you think, Michael, that um, what, what's more on offer now are workshops 
So, which is very different to that um, kind of sustained uh, project that uh, those, you know, the outpet ones at your session were, and and the kind of older model of, and I think Ruth Wallace, who did a um, keynote, mentioned it too that the old kind of LearnScope reframing the future model, you know, the the outcomes of that are a, you know. A, a set of people out there who are well positioned to um, support new people and and to drive things forward a bit and we've, I think there's a bit of a dearth now of that kind of that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I think it's probably formalised itself a little bit, but yeah, it's an interesting one. And maybe I think times might have changed, but you know, I think I mean, we're largely creatures of how how we're funded, so. You know, the model that we, that we kind of funded by often dictates how we work, and we might work around that, but I think it's difficult to do that. Oh, a couple of networks around that that are sort of devoted to, to sort of paid mentorship and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's, um, there's, a lot of, there's still a few couple of mentor programs around in TAFE and in uh, ACE and certainly in, in ACPEP. They're only going on review at the moment and whether they'll continue in the shape they form. And they, they largely hold those, those values kind of true. But in the meantime, I think people are much, are much sharper, I think, at picking up what they need to know and going and paying for it now. And, um, Do you think they're sharper? There. Do you really think they're sharper? I could have the idea that... Um, yeah, I think they are. Yeah, I think they are. I think people. Are, I think there's a lot of people. The, the critical mass of people are in the space is much larger now. I think than what it, what it was. There's always there's always the newbies and and whatever. But um, the, I mean the demand is there. You know, for for these workshops, there's no no problems packing them out. So yeah, I think people are voting with they're, they're buying they're buying what they need when they need it. I think when it's when it's sort of often. That's largely, as I, think, I reckon, as a response to how the market has changed and the way that funding shapes projects. There's no I funding, still, so... I still haven't met anyone in the whole world that says, I love e-learning, or I did a course that was brilliant using e-learning. Not one. Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> my e-learning. But it might not be the way that people learn either. I mean, I certainly didn't do a course to learn e-learning. I learned it by doing it. So it might be just the wrong. It might not be the right question to to kind of illuminate where you know where yeah. people are coming from. It's actually interesting. I I notice a lot of people are uh, in TAFE, uh, head teachers, who are have been doing a lot of work in e-learning, doing MAs in uh, particular at UTS uh, here in Sydney. Um, some with Charles Sturt. And that's me. I think most of us here were, were, you know, involved with the internet when it actually began. Um, so we've sort of come with the come with that, you know. I mean, uh, no, but I, I think we are a special breed. I mean, there were no e-learning qualifications when we started, and this is a recent thing, you know, credentialism and e-learning, and uh, mm, absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and and I'm seeing it. Uh, colleagues in my team, you know, people in my staff like Gian uh, are doing are doing masters programs, uh, and lots of teachers I'm seeing are head teachers doing masters in e-learning. I, get, I think they're trying to sort of bootstrap themselves up. Now. But what are they studying in those courses? Like what? Um, it seems to me a lot of it's like marketing, and um, you know, all the, all this sort of esoteric, well, not even esoteric. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Do you know anyone who... I'm going to shut up. Sorry. 
No, go on. <laughs> no, no, no I, I will shut up. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a good question, Rose, because um, you know, from what I've seen, um, the outcomes are pretty shaky in some places. Yeah, well, I mean, the vet sector doesn't have anything to 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 offer either. I mean, a lot of the diplomas, uh, I mean, the the, the the diploma in TAE offers very little um, opportunity for anything e-learning. To do with e-learning, I, I guess um, following on from what Rose said, though, I I would I would question the value of a master's degree in something called e-learning, where the people participating in it didn't have a general grounding in education. Well, that's an interesting notion. I think a lot of the... I mean, certainly I can only I mean, speak to the people I know. They're probably, they would ha- already have probably uh, educational degrees and they're, they're wanting to extend that with the, with the, with the master's program in e-learning. Um, I mean, Gowan's a good example. Oh, it'd, be, it'd be good to look at a program. Perhaps, Stefan, for our next VTA, you could... Um let us know what, what the course structure is like because I'd be interested to know whether it's IT type subjects or, um, you know, social media type subjects. Or. Sure. So what else happened at Converge? What else did I miss? Well, I thought the, for me, the, the keynotes were the highlight and that's kind of normal for me, I, I think. But, and I think what I liked about them <laughs> was that they offered a, uh, a perspective outside of e-learning and education. They were kind of framed, um, you know, framed around, you know, Indigenous issues and community development and, you know, things like that, which I think results in a much um, more interesting and kind of richer on things, so I enjoyed those. Jeff, what about you? you? And Howard's? Howard Aries? Oh yeah, Howard's was great. Yeah, Howard's was very good. It was good. It was a hot. I was putting him in the boat at keynotes because he did it in the main hall, so yeah. Anyways... Michael Coughlin, what was your perspective on Converge? He wasn't there. Oh, you didn't go this year? Mm. What about Michael Gwyther? Yeah, I was there. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I must say, it was probably some of the best eating I've had for a long time. <laughs> um, it was great. It was That's very a, good food. Wasn't that good at, at Preston before? Mm. It was very good. Um I really liked, um, I, I, I just got a bit of a sense that it might have been a bit of deja vu, but it, um, I went to a few sessions on cultural change um, mm-hmm. strategies in um, TAFE, uh, mainly because I had a gig up here in Ballarat that, that uh, um, TAFE around assessment. It wasn't really any e-learning at all. It was back to my old skills. But, um, so I was interested to see what, what they were kind of doing. And um, I went to a really particularly interesting session with a guy who had who'd been a... Um, Builder who'd gone and done his master of psychology or human resources or something, or they had created this quite nice cultural change program. But somebody asked the question, which is was really a really like a penny bunger into the petrol. Um, 
and made the comment was, look, we got something up in the Moodle for the students. We didn't worry too much about quality in terms of quality. Well, quality, I mean quality in terms of the look of it, you know, like you know, bung something up on Moodle. And, and somebody made the question is, well, hang on. You know, we, we wouldn't, we, they're already used to getting photocopies of photocopies. Um, it's an issue that, that there's a quality issue there. And the session got kind of, it was the first time I saw a bit of argy-bargy at Converge, which was quite nice. Um, where people were debating whether that, that was an, inter- an issue. Um, that, that sort of, um, focusing on the, the staff, the customer, instead of the customer that, that sort of type often has when it comes to, to e-learning. So that was an interesting thing for me, um, given that Ballarat's going to go down that, that, that particular road. And, um, but I'll leave that there. That, that was just, that was probably my, the, the most interesting impression I got, got from it. Oh, it's interesting. Hmm. I do, I do think that there was some, um, there was a willingness there to question uh, the um, particularly the, the push and I would suggest that it's largely by marketing sections etc into back in time into cheap 100% online courses and I certainly got a sense from the practitioners there a bit of resistance to that and a bit of was a keynote kind of referring to you know the need for us to move to look back to our analog roots oh, <laughs> um, yeah. for you know for the, the yeah for the kind of the, the people stuff the the connection you stuff. You said we have digital minds but analog hearts. That a digilog. Yeah. So it's just started off by asking everyone, did you wear, who wears an analog watch? And of course, yeah. the majority of the people wore what analog watches. Yeah. yeah. I, but, I, that, I, but that was by the by. Yeah. It, but it, but on the whole, in a lot of the sessions, there was um, a much more, a much greater willingness to question things and to uh, say, well hey, no, this is not what we want. What we want is this kind of connection with community and other stuff. So that, that, was, um, that was nice. Off somebody there. Yeah, yeah, look, just a quick note. Van Stevens, um, and hi, Vance. Sorry you're not here, but he's, um, he's obviously um, was in Google Plus trying to find us, but... Uh, uh, he just emailed me and he he's, has to go on a bit of a road trip so uh, he, he won't be able to join us but he wishes us his very best. Hi Vance. I, I know Vance actually listens to us. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fan. So we have to he does. Him. We have one subscriber. It's Vance. <laughs> <laughs> hi Vance. <laughs> That's a hi Vance. Um, so Michael, while we were converging, you were, you were up at a totally different conference in Brisbane. You want to tell us about that one? Well, I can tell you about the little that I experienced of it. Um, it was a, it's always fascinating to go to a, a non-technology conference because there's no technology and what technology there is is really kind of dodgy or weak or kind of poorly used. Um, it was the TAFE Australian Australasian Libraries Conference and I heard about six people talk and three of them, frankly, were pretty dreadful, both in the choice of topic and their, the way of delivery. But there was one woman who spoke 
on behalf of Southbank TAFE Library. And she was just a breath of fresh air because she was a really good speaker. And two, the library there has taken it upon themselves to be very proactive in welcoming students to the campus. They just, and, and they do it by walking outside with iPads and mini iPads and Android phones and iPhones. I mean, that they're all skilled in using all these devices. And they basically go out to the courtyards and talk to students and say, "Hi, are you know, how are you? What are you studying? Anything we can help you with? Have you been to the library yet?" And it was just a really impressive demonstration or description of a, of people changing their role in an organisation. So it was probably more promotion than fact, but I liked what she was promoting, and I thought if more of us took this attitude with everything to do with technology and kind of yeah, being a little bit more well, it was very human. It wasn't waiting for people to contact you in a digital space. They were walking out into the grounds of the TAFE. And, you know, and say, it sounds very analog. Very analog indeed, but with digital devices in their hands. So she yeah. was definitely the highlight. And I talked on where the internet is taking us, and I was um, warmly received and thoroughly enjoyed it. But at the end of that, I couldn't bring myself to stay for any more talks because... They weren't very relevant to my life. <laughs> yeah, libraries have had to redefine themselves, I think, now, um, with uh, the whole change in, in the way training is delivered, especially with e-learning, so, and with so much being online. And I think it's really positive that they're actually taking that going out, that, that outgoing uh, approach to the students. Yeah, and it was also said, and that's been I'll comment in relation to almost all libraries that I've had to deal with across the vet sector, certainly in all the years I've been involved with educational technology, and inevitably or invariably library staff are leading the way. They're well ahead of yeah. the teaching staff. That, yeah, that's my experience too. Hmm. Yeah, so this conference may not have been a reflection of that, but that remains true anyway. Mm. Mm. Now, we haven't heard from Alison. Are you there, Alison? She's dancing. <laughs> yeah, she made reference to some good examples of training and assessment at Converge, but she just did it in text. Mm. Is Alison not talking? She is here. She might not want to gamble with her internet connection. <laughs> I'm also here with um, my daughter, who who's, sometimes wants to take over the conversation, a bit like a mother in other ways. Um, look, I, I thought, I thought um, yeah, that there was a good mix in Converge. There's still a heavy book for people to be involved in Moodle, so there was a, you know, a number of conversations about what's happening in, in, in Moodle from uh, different perspectives. There was one lady, she was from North Melbourne Institute of TAFE and she had been using Pinterest with uh, her tourism students um, and was, that was quite interesting. Did you see that one, Robin? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I thought it was, yeah, interesting I think Pinterest is, is quite limited in that it's very visual in nature, but it certainly suited suited their field as it would a graphic design or you know other other types of you know visual 
um, courses. But yeah, no, it was interesting. And the nice thing about that too was the way that they were using it to include the alumni. Um, and they were actually, I assume they were using Moodle as well, but they were actually pulling things out of Moodle and putting it anything relevant in there so that the ex-students could still uh, access it. And of course, that's a continuing issue with LMSs. Do you think um, Pinterest is very, still has a very female um, um, following? That was one of the, the things that was that going was on. That was raised too. in that session mm. and, and she said, well, well, yes, um, it started out that way, but she said some of the, the students who uh, used it most and used it really well were the male uh, students in her class. Mm. Okay. Mm. All right, well, uh, any other final um, comments on Converge? Um, do you think it'll survive? It'll carry on? It'll still be, I mean, it's, you know, I know Michael, you said to me that it's sort of established a reputation as the premier e-learning event in, in the nation. Um, do you think it'll continue to hold that status? Um, I think, I think it'll be on next year. Yeah, I think, um, they're pretty committed to business model across the board. And, um, so yeah, I think, I think it will, you know, I was surprised how many people they had this year actually, because last year we had a real dip I, and I, I thought they'd bounce back from that this year. So, uh, I reckon they'll be back. Will they have a one day registration? I don't think so. <laughs> Yeah. I did raise the question. <laughs> People have been raising that for a long time. That, that, <clears throat> in the ACE sector, and yeah, I haven't got anywhere. So. I did eat your sandwich, Michael, so I found Thank it. Thank you, good. I'm glad. Hey, Alison and I also went to the IDEA conference. We could um, say a few comments about that. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Which is the week before the other conferences that we've been talking about. Um, and... Look, I, 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 just reflecting on what I said about the libraries conference, I think I was a bit harsh. I'd like to retract a lot of what I said. It was, it was fine. I mean, just because I have a certain set of values and maybe you know, they don't meet them means that doesn't mean it wasn't any good. So I think I might like to edit what I said about that earlier. But anyway, the idea conference, well, Alison, um, Alison and I did talk about this and we were both a little disappointed in its, um, it was a less dynamic program. It's been a really good conference for the last several years because you get all sectors. It's schools, TAFE, higher ed. You get people from government, so, you know, the suits, the policy people, and it's always been quite provocative and there's a technical stream that principally focus on interoperability and standards and there's always been another stream which was much less about the technical and much more about the exciting and the dynamic and the engaging and the new. And this year it seemed to get more bogged down in the, the more technical side of things. Mark Pesci was the keynote. He was great. There were several good keynotes. But I just think this conference seems to have lost its oomph. And one of the reasons for that is because the person who's been very closely organised or connected with the organisation of it, Jerry Leeson, over the last few years, was um, he lost his job just a few weeks short of the conference. And it was tempting to look from the outside and see that what went wrong was because they got rid of Jerry Leeson. But it, it was that 
overemphasis on the technical as against the provocative, dynamic, engaging stuff that uh, I didn't get this year. I just thought it became a bit pedestrian. But what do you think, Alison? Yeah, look, I, I agree with you, Michael, in terms of where it was at previously. It was kind of something that I'd quoted um, as being kind of the best e-learning event that I've been to in a, in a number of years, ex- um, minus the 2013 ones. So it was a little bit disappointing. They didn't kind of have that sort of push-the-boundaries um, type stuff there. So I think that was... Some of it, they, their hands are tied because they're funded by the federal government and often they don't release the funding to a certain time. And I think, yeah, when you, when you take the project manager of an event out um, quite late in, in the piece, you'd lose a lot of intelligence um, and potentially networks. So I think they might have suffered from that as well. So it would be interesting. Um, and just basically sometimes the format too. So that it was a... T- event and in the last session was an hour and a half Q&A and, and it was just too much for people to be sitting for two days and for the last hour and a half for people to be sitting through a Q&A that really wasn't a Q&A of the audience because the audience really didn't know how to engage or weren't facilitated to engage in the conversation and so we saw um, you know, a mass exodus way before that session finished. Well, so it's a bit of a shame, and um, hopefully they'll build on that for another period. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I mean, I think I think I assume you're saying then, Michael, the the talent gets thin as we move around. I think the talent's there. Perhaps it's just um, being able to tap into the right kind of talent, maybe, or it's ha- you know having that thought provoking kind of stuff. Um, oh, and all certainly. Sorry, I was just going to say this one more thing. Certainly have presenters that know what they're talking about in relation to a topic. I think it's important as well. Well, I would have thought that was pretty fundamental. <laughs> I think you're right, Alison. I think one of the things that, and this is just from a bit of my experience, is that, um, uh, that often conference organisers don't necessarily give presenters a brief and tell them, you know, a number of steps that they want, you know, to include an activity, to give an example, to have have easy takeaways, you know, they don't often give guidance to people who are not necessarily able to present and um, and sometimes that can work, that, that people can bypass that easily and have got the skill, but um, people have been invited for the first time to present something, they really do need a bit of guidance, I think, and the organisers often walk away from that responsibility. Mm, that's true. Sometimes it's about not knowing your audience. So if they're as well. other outsiders, then you know they need to be given, you know, some information about who it is they're presenting, so they can pitch it correctly. Mm. That's I'd be interested in your reflections, Michael and Alison, on the Vanguard Visions um, program that you've been running across the across the nation, really, and just um, you know just reflecting on that. Um, has it been successful and how difficult it has been to get traction into uh, into the space, uh, trying to get attention, really? It must be very difficult. <laughs> I think you should go first, Alison. <laughs> um, I didn't want to put you on the spot on this. I just, just, I just thought of it as we were talking. Well, that's right. I was kind of, you know, point the finger and expect the point the finger to be pointed, basically, was what I was thinking. Um, Look, 
look, we, we organise a whole range of different events. So there's, you know, there's stuff that Michael and I have been doing around designing learning in the digital age. And spun out of that, it's been stuff that we've done at a fee-for-service level that we've not had to go out and pitch to get the market. Um, but also we do um, beer portfolio forums. So we just had a two-day event in, in Canberra. Alex was part of that. Um, and then, you know, I've just pumped out just this evening, the save the date for the Mughal Mahara meetup for 2014. So... You know, you've got to be careful about how you kind of point the finger at what others are doing. And so, what I've written in the text chat basically is, um, sometimes you have to you have to go out a bit wider than kind of your own little small network to. So, for um, some of these organisations, these you know, eWorks and um, ESA. You know, they're, they're, they're in a silo and they, they kind of talk the same sort of talk and they're in the same sort of network. So they kind of somehow, if they could be more outwardly looking and get more input from, from a wider source, um, that they might get that variety perhaps. So Michael, I don't know, that's maybe a bit off, but Michael, what are your thoughts? I'd be interested in hearing too. Well, I think we have been more successful at what we've been doing as we progressed. I guess that makes perfect sense. And we, as you might all remember, got off to a, an incredibly bad start where we assumed that people would have uh, competence in the use of technology and the, the self-confidence to use it live in a session. Well, we've worked, I think we've now got the balance right between, if you like, spoon-feeding, providing content and structuring activities versus having people have free time to explore their own personal needs or interests. So I think we, the more we do it, the better we get that balance. Uh, but what has been really clear from, from all of the sessions that we've run, Alison, is that, and this is not rocket science, it's not to do with e-learning, it's just to watch people, the sheer joy of having the time to sit together with other staff and talk about what are you doing what would you like to do it's just talking about teaching and I just love watching those conversations and hearing people just they just grab the opportunity and they love to talk to each other and everybody keeps saying they never get a chance to do this and I think maybe that has been the biggest I don't know that's what stands out in my mind the the most In a sense, it doesn't matter what we offer, Alison. Just what they, what they need is a time to talk. Uh, I agree in, in that we, at the ePortfolio Forum and workshops, we had a day of half-day workshops. And I ran one in the, in the morning. That was very hands-on. And then in the afternoon, I was part of somebody else's. Um, a designing workshop, designing ePortfolios workshop. And, and when I walked away, having just sat, talked about a topic for, um, which obviously you will know that's kind of, you know, my cup of tea anyway, but just to be able to sit two and a half hours on one topic and just focusing on that one thing, when I went for, walked away, I felt, wow, that was a real luxury, having that time to do that. Because everything seems to be, you know, half an hour, hour kind of, you know, pop, 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 pop. Um, so, but can people afford to be out doing that sort of stuff as well? So mixing it up. So what we did was have that, those two half-day workshops and then 
The next day we mix it up. We, we start with the sit and listen, the transmission model, and we finish the day with the facilitated conversations model. Um, and that seems to work really, really well. Yeah. Is it time to hear from Alex and what's happening in the crazy world of Google Glass, etc.? Yeah, well, perhaps people are interested in that side of the journey. Oh, it's, it seems so far removed away from talking about uh, conferencing, doesn't it? And um, enjoying each other's company and <laughs> you know, tripping around the countryside and seeing old friends and colleagues and connecting and meeting new people. Well, in five years' time, that's what we'll be at these conferences. Yeah, breaking new ground. Yeah. You'll yeah, be bored with it, Alex, and we'll be really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I'm being a little facetious there talking about snack-sized everything, but I think um, Cosmos is doing some pretty amazing stuff at the moment um, with uh, just, you know, just some really, really small, um, quick uh, stuff that's happening there. But, yeah, no, the last... The last Three months for me has just been outrageous, really. Or well, in the last six months, actually, have been really a bit crazy. I went to, I don't know if I've, have I, have we talked in talking VTE about the SAS 13 stuff in Toronto yet, or um, the computer uh, yeah, freedom privacy stuff in Washington? No. No, I don't think so. I think we, we were a bit remiss and we actually in, didn't end up having a talking VTE devoted to that. But. Okay, well, I, I went to Computer Freedom Privacy, uh, which is a global conference in Washington, and um, Facebook was the main sponsor, <laughs> paradoxically, and um, the, key, the main topic was PRISM. And the key things that were coming out of that were around data-driven um, education and the fact that uh, that American consortiums were pushing outwards with um, like Coursera and um, all the others that that essentially are uh, information data sucks and they use that information not around they're not interested whatsoever in educational pedagogical curriculum nothing they're interested in gathering people's information what they interact with and their habits and behaviours and so that was that was part of that. Also, in the same, even in just the same conference, was around uh, the role of drones in the domestic space. There was also things in there around privacy, just in terms of our data logging from our interactive interactivity across the internet. So that was pretty amazing in, in Washington. And then from there, we went on to the conferencing in Toronto and ran the conference for IEEE. Met all of the cyborgs. Um, actually, yeah, attended a conference in a you know 135-year-old hall with people, most of the people there wearing glass. Um, actually, stood behind Marvin Minsky, who invented artificial intelligence, and who was standing in the doorway watching um, um, Google Google Man. What's his name? Um, Kurzweil doing a presentation through Google Hangouts while he was being instructed from the audience by um, uh, the leader from the Google Glass team um, via Glass. So it, we got to see a whole triangulation of what, is, what we're going to see roll out 
as of March next year because the 2 million units that are sitting up in Singapore are, um, are already being deployed. And the news is, and that's why I was at Queensland presented with Alison up there with IQ, that uh, yes, we're, we're mapping a number of organisations are mapping um, digital eyewear, not just glass, but um, Optin Events, um, MX100. There's, um, there's, there's a whole range of different products there that are that are being developed for industry, industry application. So it's not for entertainment, it's for industry application, industry-worn AR. There's a number of developers in Australia who are developing full glass and they're from the vocational training environment. Some of them have developed um, e-learning repositories for students um, in TAFE New South Wales. Stephanie's aware of some of those developments. And then I got ridden for three months with an American group who used all my time up and then spat me out the other end. So I've had to learn a bit of a savage lesson in that one. And just after having all that happen, my broken arm, I'll have to go in for surgery on my arm. So it's been a pretty tricky six months, but I have been to... Yeah, I went to IQ and did a presentation there with Alison, which was atrocious. Uh, I was incredibly tired and um, I rambled a bit. Uh, and, but I had the opportunity to run a couple of hangouts with some glass developers and bring that to the attention of people in that environment and have the guile to get up on the stage and actually play a video while people were on, in the audience and stand there while the video played. <laughs> people found kind of odd and weird um, but it did leave a, a, an indelible memory for some people they've given me a lot mm. of good feedback some people have said Alex that was one of the most atrocious performances you've ever done but there were some points in that environment there were some things that you were talking about there that uh, couldn't have really been delivered any other way mm. so um yeah, look, I'm, you know, today I won a job to, you know, redesign a little theme and do a change management profile at a small RTO in a local town just near me. And, you know, I'm still there doing the, the grunt work. Um, but my PhD is on hold for six months. I'm going to have a bit of a break. I need, I've, I, I interviewed 120 people across the world. Um, I've got more data than I can crunch. I have to, I've actually got to listen to it all again, and actually I'm going to hand-code the whole lot. I'm going to use LexiDancer and Envivo <coughs> to to qualitative analysis to that. And I'm thinking about actually doing a ProSci uh, change management uh, industry certification, because I think a lot of what I've done in the last 10 years, and a lot of what people we're talking about here and what we've done, uh, yeah, we've managed projects, but I think a lot of what we've done is also we've implemented change management, but... What we've done is actually disappear e-learning. We don't, we don't need to use the word. We don't need to focus on it. It's just a tool. It's just a mechanism to engage learning, to engage humans. And we should really start stop using the word M-learning and e-learning, I think, and just get on with the human yeah. side of technology rather than I agree, yeah. con concentrate on the technology. It's just so cumbersome and so post... So, it's so socio-technical. We're not. You're going analog, are you? And no. <laughs> well, you know, we talk we, we talk like socio-technicists all the time. We're always saying, you know, we use brand this, brand that, brand that. And then at the end of the day, we get back and what we value most is our chat moments, pay, you know, reflection time. And it's really the, what we talk about, what our true values are, are socio-ethical. About the impact of this technology on 
the, the ethical side of this. You know, is this a good way? I mean, look at the look at the post MOOC stuff that's happening right now. Mm. You know, like people are already saying MOOCs have reached their plateau. They're starting to they're starting to move into the into the wane of that as being progressive. And I think, wow, gee, that was quick. <laughs> that was the half life of the half life. When we had Moodle when it first started, at least we thought, Jesus, we're in this for 10 years. But Moodle's were in it for, wow, that was over in two years. I wonder if the next one is going to be, you know, things are speeding up. In, in, you know. Anyway, that's enough of my what I've been doing. Can I just add something related to what Alex has been talking about? There was a session on Sunday night with Andy. What's his surname? A Croper? So, sorry, I must apologise. I was really crook on Sunday night, and this is a public apology to Vance who would listen. Um, I, I took two different anti-inflammatories, and I wouldn't have been in any state to talk to anybody. I, um, I connected with a photographer from New York City that when I was in Toronto, and as I walked down the street with Steve Mann, who was wearing ITAP and wearing you know, all, all of the crowd wearing glass and all that, um, I suddenly broke away from the group, ran ahead of them about 100 metres, and I photographed them, and I actually filmed what I was taking, filming of them. One guy came across the road and said, hey, man, that's really cool. You know, you're like, look, it's like through the looking glass entirely. You're like going one step ahead of the looking glass itself. And I said... I got in a chat with him, and, and he's Andy Cropper, and he's from New York, photographer. His mother passed away with um, Alzheimer's. He started an initiative called Hacking Alzheimer's, and he's looking at developing an app, uh, and uh, an app that will connect with Glass to allow a person who has Alzheimer's to be able to select at a certain point in the day, replay the last 15 minutes. And looking at the impact that having replay of what they had seen in that day would have on an Alzheimer's patient and what quality of value that might bring not only to the wearer of that device but also to the family and the loved ones of that individual and how that might have made a difference in his mother's life. Mm -hmm. He's made a beautiful video, Vimeo video about it. Very touching um, sort of talk and he gave a talk with fans which I'm really sorry to have missed and... Um, yeah, that's what that's what is there. Alex, did he run that? I mean, has he? Obviously, I would imagine he's consulted with you know um, gerontologists and so on about whether that would be too disrupting for a person with Alzheimer's. Yeah, look, there's been a series of trials um, by Gordon Bell uh, from the head researcher from Microsoft that I interviewed, and they called the um, SenseCam an autographer. It was like a camera, a little pendant that Alzheimer's victim, you know, patients and people mm-hmm. had around their neck. And essentially all it did was took a picture every so often through the day, and then at the end of the day, that patient was able to then just re- review that slideshow and it actually made, you know, they mapped whether that had an impact or difference. And then there was the privacy things about the family members being involved in the photos and so on. So, yes, mm-hmm. there has been considerations as to the impact, not only not only in a post-privacy sort of era, but, I mean, you've got to remember that those trials were done almost up to 20 years ago. Now it's around um, if that person in their early stages of Alzheimer's um, under their own volition, makes a choice to wear a device like glass, which is mm-hmm. actually 
a lease, it's actually a lease device, um, as they deteriorate over time, um, the, the, the significant others and the um, people who have you know, the power of attorney and so on uh, can instrument when that particular device might be intrusive. You know what I mean? And, and it's out of the choice of that individual. So there's some very complex issues involved in that. Well, you can find it quite that... fascinating in a way because it's this idea of sort of digitising your life, in a way digitising life, and that becomes your memory. Well, that's exactly what um, ACNE, the Centre for the Moving Image, did a few yeah. years ago in Melbourne where they were using digital storytelling to mm. capture the lives of people with um, dementia, Alzheimer's, mm. but when, when very early um, so that those videos were there and they could watch them mm. later. It, it, it's a fascinating concept, a loss of memory. Uh, on one level, it's incredibly... Uh, one would think one level incredibly liberating thing because the past is always uh, a, a burden. I mean, what does Nietzsche say? We, we are bored, burdened by our past like pack horses. And so mm. the whole modern experience has been about, you know, a radical um, disconnection, a radical rejection of the past. And in a way... This is a fascinating concept. If you have no past, if you have no memory, if you have no history, one moment, you, you're living in the moment. You, you only either have the moment or the future. The past is gone. And, it's really, and this idea of digitising it and representing it to someone that has no memory, it's a really quite uh, interesting concept. Well, well, what Andy's um, just—it's a very simple application. It's that in the in the facility of glass, and as batteries improve, and the playback mechanism of the prism that plays back to the eyeball uh, is that, as I was saying, that it's, it's really just like a, a small bite that during the day that person might say, "Wow, on that last hour, you know, I've really phased out. Some, I really missed something," and they can they can of their own volition. Just press replay, and what it's actually doing—it's not playing replay from the from the device. It's not being recorded to the device. The memory is being recorded to the grid, to the provider, and that that piece of data. If you have no past, you cannot miss anything. Yeah, but there but there are people on the journey from you know before they have no memory. That there are a lot of people with Alzheimer's who have broken. Memories, yeah, what, what happens, Stefan, with people with Alzheimer's generally is that it's their short-term immediate memory that they lose. Like they could, you could show someone with Alzheimer's how to use a washing machine, a new washing machine, and but they might look looks like they've learned it, but tomorrow they've forgotten it again. Mm. But you ask them the name of their children or where they got married or what their favourite music was when they were young, and they'll remember. It's... It's the it, it's kind of like uh, the most recent memories are the ones that go until only the very early memories that seem to be left. Mm. Mm. That's sort of coming back, Michael, to our remember our early POV recordings of instructional design where we wore POV and you showed somebody how to operate a PowerPoint or how to yeah. Make I was thinking of that when Alec uh, Wand was talking the other night. Yes, mm. lots so, of stuff like that. The applicability of that in this area is, is very clear. 
It is, and when I was there in Washington, I actually spoke with um, the head of the uh, the um, Homeland Security, believe it or not, in an interview. And straight after that interview, I spoke with an instructional designer who's looking at yeah life logging equipment, not the not glass, but life wearable um, wearable data sensing systems. And and I said to him, I just sorry, I, I still don't understand what you mean by wearable sensor systems. He said, oh, my pendant. And I said, yeah, I notice it's um, kind of slightly strobing. He said, yeah, that's my heartbeat. And I looked at the pendant and I realised the pendant is actually picking up his heartbeat and it changes colour and pulses in the same as his heartbeat. And I thought, wow, so he's wearing a pendant that actually is reading his heart. And then he said, yeah, and I'm wearing a Fitbit. So that monitors my pedometer, you know, how many, whatever, whatever. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to get his doctors to accept his data continuously so that when he goes to the doctor, they already know what's wrong with him. They don't, he doesn't have to pay them to tell them. He gets a trigger on his phone that says, please come in. You know, there's been a, there's obvious, uh, there's an obvious issue happening. So you need That's to be, re- be automated. Surely. You need to be recalled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you need to come in because you're about to suffer a heart attack. There is a, yeah. Yes. So it was, I think what we're going to see is not only a post-privacy era, but we're also going to see a different type of um, learning setting. And this might all seem very science fiction. I actually, I, I don't even have to mention that anymore. You guys are all full bottle on what's going on. But, you know, no, no, I'm, t- I'm saying next year, I'm saying next year, and not not even it, it, it's happening under your our feet now. It's it's been mapped in, and we're doing it. And no, but Alex, I think you're onto something here because I, I you know, this whole idea of life logging and this idea of uh, continuous data recording does seem to be having its um, traction in the physical world and and measuring the corporeality of life. And you see these people now wearing these uh, bracelets. Uh, that, that, as you say, measure how far you've walked, measure your heartbeat. It's about this whole uh, life logging of your physical uh, aspect, which I yep. actually find a quite fascinating thing in a way because the whole idea of the digital era, in a way, was this abstraction from the corporeality, this, mm. this, this, this divorcement from, the, uh, from location, from context, from physicality. It was all about... You know the cyber realm, the, the non-physical realm, uh, and yet we're seeing this um, life logging and uh, data logging coming in at this level. Well, there's—I uh, don't know. I think I mentioned it uh, when I was up at IQ, but there's Tin Can API, which is or Experience API, which is being mapped into LMSs. So essentially, imagine this: a learner logs into their Moodle environment. Not only are they exposed to the data of their own learning pattern, but they're also, that data is also in a dashboard style compared with all of their social media engagement. It says that last week you spent 17 hours in Facebook in, in, in total. Um, you contacted 36 people on, you know, in preference, blah, 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 blah. Uh, your, your learning uh, analytics are showing that you're actually decreasing in your engagement across this profile. So what it's doing is crunching all of your personal data with your learning data and administratively 
the state of the organization gathering data about a learner and using it, it the learner has access to that data. Can you imagine all of that data coming into that dashboard for that learner intelligently? And what would that dashboard look like? And how would you design it? And that's what Experience API opens up this, and that's where I think data-driven education is going to change the shape of learning management systems into learning engagement systems, I think, in total. It would require some self-reflection, obviously, by the student, and that's, is that a, isn't that an issue with, with the people are less self-reflective now, or do you think by having the data provided it would trigger self-reflection? It's interesting. When I did a little, I did an exercise. We only took five minutes with this this group in in Toronto, and it was with the um, uh, Kiwi um, guys. They, they've developed a mobile ECT. You wear it on your wrist, and it just monitors your heartbeat. You know, your pedometer, how many steps you did, all that sort of stuff. And what they showed me was that over a period of time, they've the whole team have been exposing each other, the whole group, they're exposing each other's data to each other. And what it's doing is reshaping the way that they engage with each other. And and that same principle is being thought about even right down to the primary education level, where a group of learners from one class, can, they, they don't compete with data. They can only compare it anonymously. What they're doing is comparing how many steps in, in total Imagine, imagine 15 primary students wearing a life-logging Fitbit device and comparing the Fitbit data from one environment to another. What does that do to the, to the learners in that environment as they, as they connect together? And I can see people dropping left, right and centre here off this call. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting though because, I mean, it, is that sort of introducing again that element of competition and... and uh, no, yeah. not, no, no, no. Alison's saying that, yeah, we're, we're all very much part of a group. Some people are very hesitant at being a quantified self, but this is a qualified self type of way. It's comparative. It's not competitive. Um, com when, you analyze, when you have all of your data in one dashboard and you can see that you only took 13,000 13, steps in a whole month, mm. um, and that your learning, you know, your your um, your marks over that month for some of the activities you did were going downhill. It's a self-awareness thing for that individual who then says, "Shit, I should be doing more physical activity," um, and that's mm. going to bring my marks up. So it's just it's just bringing data sets together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, interesting. So that's what I think we have to think more about is data-driven education. And it's certainly something that the University of Canberra, Professor um, uh, Robert Fitzgerald and his team are fast-moving into, fast-looking at. And how, does, yeah, how do we bring the e-portfolio, the real e-portfolio together? For that one? Sort of like the old biofeedback bio loop. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. How do we bring the biofeedback into the um, the uh, learner engagement and design? You know, what's the best design for that? No, 
uh, rose, it's, uh, rose it's, um, the connections in Skype sometimes fall over. Anyway, that's enough from me. That's I'm, I'm, that's what's going on at the moment. Um, well, thank I'm you, Alex. Well, yeah, I'm really glad to glad to be able to connect in prior to going to the hospital for a while. Okay. How long will you be in? Now I'm supposed to string. I've been there for a couple of days, but yeah, the recovery apparently is. Uh, it's not going to be as bad as that knee operation I had, but. Maybe you, right should, maybe you should get a Fitbit, uh, Alex. Get a lot of You say, I demand to keep my Fitbit on while I'm under the operation. Yeah, no, I wanted to... I actually spoke with Simon Tan, who's, you know, lead practitioner, and I said, you know, the end, you know, the actual, you know, the robotic... Um, um, what do they call them? Keyhole cameras. Mm. Uh, can you, if, it, if I provide you with the DVR, could I actually take a feed off the, your um, camera? He said, yeah, could do, except legally we can't, we wouldn't allow, we wouldn't be allowed to provide you with the robotics, the robotic arms um, attributes. He said, because Alex, what it is is actually a legal inflection because I'm inside the machine and I'm operating those tiny tongs and knives and burnishes and, bur- and, and snippers inside you so i'm actually inside you i have become the camera and the tool i said no i understand that i just want to feed off it you know, so i could broadcast it he goes oh, no no way yeah that's right but, yeah but, but why not you know because why can't I? Me. you're inside me you know you're like but you're inside me <laughs> I, I, Oi, keep it clean i saw an image i saw an image from my operation this year and you wouldn't have wanted to see it, it wasn't pretty <laughs> Yeah, we don't want that in Facebook, Alex. <laughs> no, I put up that knee operation one. I, I know, that was enough. You know, but what have we got to fear about ourselves? That's that we're humans and that's part of what we are. It's part of learning. It's anatomy and physiology and, and so on. We have a real... Um, and I think it's very good that we do have an ethical aversion to um, exposing think the chilling, what happens to be a chilling effect for us. <clears throat> And that's what we've got to try and I was educated. That's what we broke every day, don't we? All right, well, we'll, we we'll probably should wrap up. And uh, if anyone has any final thoughts reflecting on uh, 2013, anything that has moved them, anything that is, um, I guess, something that they can just think, well, that was 2013. Um, I, I, guess, I guess, I mean, I, I can start. I mean, I... I think probably MOOCs has has continued to be a sort of disruptive force. Uh, it certainly has been in our organisation. In so far, not so much about you know what MOOCs have done, but what they have done to the thinking of people in senior positions in the organisation. I think it has unsettled people. It has uh, maybe made them think about uh, education in a different way. It has made them, re- you know, perhaps think about the institution, uh, the venerable institution, uh, institutions of education. Will they be dis- disintermediated? Will they be disrupted? Uh, and I think uh, that in itself has been a good thing. So that, that's my reflection for 2013. Yeah, as I said there in the chat, there, I think I'm happy 2013 is coming to a close in certain respects, uh, but I do 2013 for me and where 2014 is going, that um, I think that we're, we're moving into an emergent space that's going to change humanity quite quickly. 
Uh, we're on the brink, on the cusp of a substantial shift in the way we do things. Not not just from in, not engaging with the internet as an other, that has the internet becoming very much inextricably part of who we are. Can I be the Can I be the thirteenth fairy at Snow White's christening? Um, I think we're all going down the toilet. <laughs> I see people using technology in very stupid ways. I see the media not um, practicing journalism. The only people who are practicing journalism at the moment seem to be cartoonists. I look at um, my blog role and there's less and less and less there. I see mm. more opinion than fact. So I really miss, and I might just be isolated because I'm in a region and I'm not in a role that's um, in any way you know, dealing with the kinds of innovations that you are working with. I actually think that with um, ubiquity, there's been a deadening or a lessening of uh, curiosity, innovation and all that sort of stuff. So my prediction is, oh, okay. <laughs> is no, it I think very... well, the blog, well, our, our blog roles are gradually disappearing. Yeah, and they are. Isn't that strange? Yeah. Maybe and when I go on the internet... Facebooking or duplassing or... Yeah. I think and when I graze on the internet, I can't graze. Like I remember 19... You know we used to laugh at the old interfaces of people doing their GeoCity site and that sort of stuff? I never realised that I would miss that. I, I miss the the free-rangeness of it. There, there doesn't seem to be any free-range areas that I can find other than dodgy sites or, um, you know... There's not, a, there's not even any feeds anymore we can subscribe to. We don't no. need to subscribe to a feed. It's um, sad that, yeah, the corporatisation of conversation. So information. Look, that's a really interesting point. I, I, um, yeah, I bumped so. into a friend of mine today who I hadn't seen since um, my Melbourne Uni days. Not, I hadn't seen him since 1980, actually. He's now a um, financial journalist with the Financial Review and um, he was telling me that he's, he's about to move to... This pick it up on your point, Mel. He's about to move to ANZ where he's going to present a show um, pretty much reporting the same kind of stuff that he does for the financial review, financial information, and it's following that kind of increasingly prevalent model of of corporates, you know, the way that they, or even companies blog for content as a way of marketing, which is a... Yeah. So it's a really fascinating twist on, on, on his journalist role, that he's actually going to still be a journalist, but... There'll be a there'll be a product imperative that's not no longer the the editor's um, position, but will be the position of the the, the company and the the marketing um, strategy behind yeah. that. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah I think well, it's, it's it's interesting, Rose. I think that um, you're right, but I think one thing that has happened on a positive note with um, the taciturn government that we now have <laughs> is that. Um, while they're not pumping out media releases, it's actually forcing the journalists to get off their butts and do it properly themselves. <laughs> so there is always a silver lining somewhere. You know, I'm a glass half full girl. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's not an original comment of mine. It's something I picked up in a, in a program, and I think it's quite true. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to reluctantly agree with you, Melanie. I have to, I mean, basically, I have to acknowledge I think it's a good strategy on the part of the Liberal government. I don't know what the reasons are for doing it, but the, the net result is, hallelujah. I don't know that I've actually credited it as a strategy, Michael. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. 
That's just sort of no. you, can't, you don't say anything, you can't really get into trouble. It's the moment. Yeah, or, they, or they don't know what to say. <laughs> I think that's more to the point. But, or they don't have anything to say. Robin, what do you think in the future of 2014? I don't know who you asked that question of, Melanie, but I guess I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to make any predictions about 2014. I'm just going to say something which I've come to believe during this year, and I think we'll see it more in subsequent years. Or the, it's a very vague statement, but Alex, you're partly to blame for me thinking like this, and I've come to the conclusion that if we can do it, we will in terms of technology. We won't hesitate. Whatever we are able to do, technologically able to create, we will create it and we'll have the conversation about what we do with it afterwards. That's an engineer's perspective. If we thought about privacy, we wouldn't be able to build it. So what's happened in the last decade is that the whole idea that surveillance, surveillance, data surveillance, all of that's dropped. It's just become surveillance and we're going to use that information and we're not going to apologise for it. And that's what we're seeing absolutely the pinnacle of humanity's fear at the moment. That we're now in a state that everything is being monitored. <laughs> everything is being monitored. This is being scoured, for keywords. Everything what what we're doing now. Exactly. Everything well, is well, being monitored. Well, good luck to them, is all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alex, are you this. saying it's, it's machine scanning, like it's all automated, is it? Uh, yeah, that's what that's what I that's what the computer freedom privacy thing was about. It was that uh, that the prism is just one of hundreds of programs that have been operated to scour information from the most benign angles and the most benign corners to, to check for patterns, see change in patterns, and be able to predict what's actually going on with with people. So who's who's wanting all this information? Is is it? Um, like a, a corporation is wanting it? What, what are the applications that they're predicting? Well, corporations are just down the food chain. They just they just gain from, from third-hand data to make profit from it. It's more about power, division and control, like David Lyons' social sorting. It's being able to change cultures and affect government and, and shift change. Broker deals very quickly because they already know the information. They're already listening so, into everybody's conversation. So, they know so what's going ha- on. how have you not become a totally paranoid human being? <laughs> well, you just, I just think if you can just, you know, if you divorce, if our role as educators is to, um, to engage with our learners using these technologies, we also just need to, they need to be aware that information that they're pumping in here, there and everywhere is being is being recorded, monitored and being exposed to people that they don't even know existed. And and we have to be able to not be paranoid about it. We just have to know that it's a it's a, it's a present reality. A very certain reality. It's not a it's not a distant um, We just have to learn to hide in the noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Become noisier than the noise, yeah. Mm. Or do we all have to learn to love Big Brother? Or yeah. understand that, or understand that we are we are part of that. We, we are we are driving and we're driving machines that surveil our learners, that mm. analyse our learners, and that we provide this information for accreditation to other bodies that are surveilling us mm. for the same information. You know, it's just about. Actually, wrote that paper about it. Stefan was involved in called surveillance. You know of. Uh, research data 
And mm-hmm. um, it's not about surveillance. It's just that the big data is crunching the little data and sucking it up yes. and changing. Something will happen, you know, little data will crawl out of the sludge and start breathing or something. Seriously, something will happen. Did you read about that robot um, vacuum cleaner that killed itself the other day? Self-imploded. The, um, Self-imploded, yes. Yeah. And then there was an article yesterday about Google. Google is saying that they don't, they've got these intelligent systems and they don't know how... Uh, I can't remember the detail, but um, they don't know how these... Some of the um, systems are sort of self-learning and they... Yeah, well, you see, in 2014, the vacuum cleaners become self-aware and form a finet. I mean, we laugh, we laugh, but, you know, I I think that one day it will be indistinguishable. (laughs) Like, I fully expect when I'm an old woman in a nursing home that a robot will be looking after me. And I look forward to that because I welcome... (laughs) Not robot overlords, but I actually welcome, I, I think by the time I'm in that situation, robots will be much more effective and um, compassionate than humans are able to be. Well, I'd rather we'd a robot my ass than uh, someone from the third world. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, yeah, I mean, it's the division of labour and how we want to acknowledge what we are doing. And what, mm. other, what we're subjecting other people to by investing yeah. in certain technologies that, but that's always been the case. Technology has always shifted humanity. Mm. People have always been third party to it and um, cut off. Look at that. Look at me. Jesus, got more qualifications than I can think of, and I can't find a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will live where down in Canberra, you know. <laughs> that's exactly what. On earth, no, I've got, I got more work than I think I can think about. It's just about choice. Yeah. All right, well, I think we should probably wind it up for the formal part of the podcast, unless someone has any final compelling comment they would like to make. No? Well, I don't know. Did Michael get a chance to actually finish what his prediction was? <laughs> what he was saying for two I had no okay. predictions. I said no, there no, are no predictions. predictions. I don't know, but but I don't know about Michael why they didn't make a prediction. Apart from Hawthorne. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Back in the chat somewhere. Look, I think um, I, I'm I'm a bit more of an optimist. I um I I think there'll be a bit of a, a, a swing back to looking at the concept of engagement, and uh, like in a learning level, um, and I think that will start to permeate. Everything that gets thrown up, I think it's a, I think it's behind seventy twenty ten. I think it's a, a behind gamification, and I think in in the, in the good heart, it's behind MOOCs as well. So, I think that trend will continue, and um, and I'm I'm going to put Trump a little smiley face after that. <laughs> Alison, do you have any final comments? Or have you gone to sleep there? No, she's I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happily having um, a, a, a text input, I suppose. Um, uh, predictions for 2014. I don't know. They're, they're, I don't think they'll be too majorly different to what's happening at the moment um, in, in terms of um, what we're seeing. In terms of, I think we'll, we'll see a push for more open, openness. I think we'll, uh, in, in terms of data and information for the good. And not the evil. I, I think that in most things in society, there's you know there's less than one percent of the people that will do things for greed, 
uh, and themselves and the majority of data that, that's been collected has been collected to analyse and improve people's situations, not necessarily their, their bank line dollars. I think we'll see an increase in terms of data um, and people's awareness of data and how they might be able to use it effectively for themselves and others. Um, and I think there'll still be in, in the sector that um, we do a lot of work in, which is the vocational education and training sector, I think we're going to see, we haven't, I mean, Victoria, Michael, you guys have been uh, riding the screaming horrible wave for probably about two years or more now. I think you'll see in South Australia that that's the, the SH uh, IT is really going to hit the fan in 2014 and then basically New South Wales, well, go Queensland, yeah. New South Wales and then Western Australia up the rear, um, uh, not literally, um, will be in big trouble in terms of if they've been reliant on government funding. Mm, so I think absolutely. in terms of, yeah, just how people look at how they present themselves to the market in a formal education and training sense, um, in the vet sector will be um, scary. Mm. Yeah, I agree, Alison. And I mean, considering that we are talking about VTE, um, you know, the fact that New South Wales has postponed its smart skill for six months, um, there are varying reasons floating around for that, but I just, I'm cynical enough to believe that part of it's that they wanted to sit back and wait and see what else happened. Um, but what's coming out from the IPART uh, review of the prices for smart and skilled the price they'll pay for the qualifications um, is that it's going to be high. It's going to be actually, you, you know, it'll be means tested to a degree, but it, it could be very expensive to get a vet qualification in the future. And that sits in opposition to the stated object of raising the level of vet qualifications and skills in Australia. And um, I personally would like to see another big shake-up in vet. Um, and really see training pack. There's apparently a new stance for the standards coming out for training packages, which I've heard could could shake things up a bit. But um, yeah, there certainly seems to be some madness in policy at the moment. Mm. I thought that was it was well underway. I was talking with quite a number of people that mm. you know very very senior educational leaders that I've known very well respected, run some amazing stuff in time, and certainly in the prime of their their um you know their their vet lives being being basically foisted VRs and told time to move on and get out of here. Was that uh, from a, a public institution? Yeah, public institutions and one private, two two people from public and one person from a very you know quite a large industry RTO. All right, everyone. I think probably we should wrap it up. Uh, apparently, the average uh, attention span for people listening to videos is um, seven <laughs> minutes. <laughs> well, uh, well beyond that. Uh, Vance, this will keep busy for a year. And you need uh, a badge, Vance, something, or drink. Um, so, a very to those who listen to Talking VTE in its, uh, in its sporadic moments, uh, thank you. We honour you and we love you, and we will continue into 2014 <laughs> because clearly there's a passion for those who uh, participate. So thank you to all who have been here this evening for probably the last uh, hurrah for 2013, and we look forward to future conversations. Thanks, Steph. It was great. See you all. Yeah, unfortunately there isn't a Christmas emoticon, so I'll just wish you everybody 
Um, <laughs> a happy <laughs> <and> <laughs>